Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hey, hey, and welcome to the introductory episode of the Unconventional RD Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Jolson, And chances are, many of you guys listening probably know me from the Facebook group that I run, the Unconventional RD Community. Uh, If you're not in there already, definitely search for it on Facebook and request to join. It's a place for dietitians and other wellness professionals to learn about passive and alternative income streams and discuss all things business. Um, So yeah, it's mostly dietitians, but also, you know, some other wellness professionals and a lot of students as well. So don't be shy. Definitely come check it out and join us there. I've been running that group for almost three years now, and I can't believe it, but it has over 7,000 members. So last year, I actually expanded and created three online courses, which you can find at theunconventionalrd.com. And those are designed to help dietitians start their online business and grow it and automate it. So I help people learn how to get more blog traffic by implementing an SEO strategy, search engine optimization, which is basically how to create content that actually gets found on Google. So people search for something and you're what pops up in the search results. Then I teach people in the second course how to monetize on their website once they have that traffic. So we talk about six different ways to make money online. And then in the third course, it's all about automating through email marketing. So how to grow your email list and automate your sales so you're not stuck in the feast and famine mode of live launches at all times. So that's what I have set up at my website right now. So check those out uh, if you're interested. And basically now in coming into 2020, I have my products, I have my community, I'm ready to like actually get serious and grow the unconventional RD into a real brand. I love it. It's the, the my most favorite thing that I've done in my entire RD career. So I'm like, why am I holding back? I, I, I'm giving myself permission to lean into this and continue to grow what I have to offer for other RDs. Um, so I'm, I'm expanding beyond my courses and beyond Facebook into this podcast and into consistent blogging. So I have so much to share. I love to talk, so get ready for some fun little tangents, I'm sure, throughout these episodes. And they're going to be long form, you know, maybe anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes. And also look out for more consistent blog posts from me on the Unconventional RD blog because blogging is absolutely my favorite form of content creation and communication, and I could do it all day, every day. So I'm creating a content calendar and sticking to it. All right, but anyway, what is this show about? What is this podcast about? Well, my goal here is to help dietitians break free from the traditional money-making models that we learn about in school. So, you know, like traditional employment, where you get a job and you're paid a salary, or even private practice, where you're seeing clients one-on-one and trading your time for money. I want to move even beyond that. Um, So we're not going to be talking about anything nutrition-related here. We're not even really going to be talking about traditional entrepreneur um, opportunities like private practice. I really want to focus on more creative ways to diversify your income streams and particularly hone in on online business strategies and passive income. And I define passive income as anything that you're doing that's scalable. So 
not trading your time for money because we only have so many hours in the day. So you're going to naturally hit an income ceiling if all of your income streams are directly tied to your personal one-on-one time. So instead, we're going to focus on scalable revenue streams where you put in the same amount of effort and the amount of money that you could potentially get back for that effort is limitless. So things like affiliate income, where you promote other people's products and you earn a commission when people from your audience buy through your special link or with your special coupon code. Um, Ad revenue, so if you really love content creation and you grow your audience to a large enough size, usually at least 25,000 sessions, which is like individual people coming to your website per month, then you can start to put ads on your website through some of the higher end ad networks and make a decent amount of money from that, which is just display ads. So you get paid based on how many people see your ads or maybe a little bonus when people click on them. There's also sponsored content. So again, as your audience grows, brands might start to become interested in you and you can work with those brands and create content on your blog or your podcast or social media channels that features their products and you can get paid for it. There's also digital goods like creating and selling ebooks. You could create online courses to teach something to your audience or maybe start a membership site where people pay you monthly or annually to get access to premium exclusive content that's only available in your membership site. So that's kind of what I want to focus on with this podcast and inspire you guys to take action and create some of these income streams in your own business. It's going to be a mix of solo episodes and interviews. So sometimes I'll just pop on and do a solo episode like this one where I'm talking about something. Um, But I'll also be interviewing other dietitians who have built unconventional revenue streams, hear their stories and their insights and their tips, and also other experts that aren't dietitians in the online business space. So I think it's important to get out of our bubble sometimes and learn from other people in different niches or different areas of expertise. So, you know, maybe I'll bring on a lawyer to talk about, you know, the legal stuff about online business or graphic designers or social media managers, things like that. We can learn from those people and take, you know, their tidbits and their advice and apply them to our own uh, individual businesses. So um, look for that type of content in this podcast. There are going to be weekly episodes for now. I'm aiming for 45 minutes to an hour each, and they're designed to be educational, inspirational, and above all, actionable. So this is not going to be a fluff podcast. <laughs> so in my solo episodes, I will make sure I'm very detailed and specific about the advice I'm giving. If you've ever read like my income reports on my blog, you know that I love to mention it all. I don't know if any of you guys are um, Real Housewives fans. You'll get that reference. Um, but yeah, I, nothing's off limits. I'm fully transparent. So um, yeah, get ready for, for all the details about online business and income streams and all that. And then in my interviews, I'm really going to try to treat those interviews like as if I don't know anything about the topic. So I'm going to come at it fully with fully like fresh eyes and ask questions so that even the most beginner person listening will understand what we're talking about and then also get specific. So I will ask very detailed questions like, how did you do this? What tools did you use to do this? What mindset stuff did you overcome to get there? That type of thing. So it's not just going to be like, tell me your story. It's going to be actionable and 
hopefully very helpful and inspirational for you guys. Um, My goal is to have you feel like you learned something genuinely helpful after each episode. And then if you want to maybe read a transcript of an episode or if I mentioned a link to something and you want to go find that, I will have transcripts and show notes at theunconventionalrd.com. If you just go to the podcast section, you can go navigate to any episode that you are looking for. And right there, you'll be able to see the transcript of the episode and show notes that will include sort of a summary of the main points we talked about and any links or coupon codes or whatever that we might have mentioned in the episode. That's all going to be right there. All right. So that is sort of the gist of what I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast. I don't know about you, but I like to know the hosts of the podcast episodes or the podcasts that I listen to. So I thought I'd end this introductory episode with just sort of like my backstory. Um, You know, if you don't care about this, then go ahead and move on to the next episode. But uh, I am going to dive a little bit more into who I am and my background so you can be familiar with me and how I got here and what the heck I'm doing with this unconventional RD brand. So again, my name's Erica. I am a registered dietitian, currently live in Los Angeles, California, but originally from the Bay Area, Fremont, yes. Um, I've been in RD since 2014, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I'm actually a mini career changer. So I did not get my undergraduate degree in dietetics, and that was really my bad. I probably would have if I had thought about where, like, what I wanted to major in before I chose what college I was going to. But I applied everywhere undeclared and didn't even really like look at what the major options were at any colleges. I was like, oh, they probably all have kind of the same stuff. So I ended up going to UCLA and undeclared. And as I was going through, you know, like my first quarter there and thinking about what I wanted my major to be, only then did I realize they did not have a nutrition major. So I had to pick something else. Um, my advisor was like, oh, the, the closest thing is probably FISI, like physiological science. But that just didn't really do it for me. It didn't sound that intriguing. So I ended up majoring in psychobiology. So it was sort of a blend of psychology and biology and neuroscience. So more sciencey than just psych, but more pulled back than neuroscience. So neuroscience is very much like diving really deep into like neuronal function and things like that. And psychobiology was a little more holistic, like what regions of the brain do X, Y, Z things, blah, 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 and like epigenetics and stuff like that. So I got heavily into functional neuroimaging at this time. So I volunteered in some psychology labs where they did fMRI neuroimaging and um, were investigating really cool things like the effects of mindfulness meditation on your brain and your immune system. So really I was doing psychoneuroimmunology, if you've heard of that before. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. I love teaching. Um, I'm, I was like the kid in elementary school who would like go to school and then come home and like play school with my stuffed animals. And I was the teacher. Like it got so extreme. Like my mom even got me like an overhead projector for Christmas one year from like the teacher supply store. Yeah, it was like that extreme. So 
I feel like I've I've always loved education and teaching as a common thread throughout my life. I think I was drawn to that part of academia. I loved that it was very independent and you could kind of like design your own research studies, teach your courses and kind of do your own thing as long as you were, you know, getting funding and, and getting published. So I thought that I wanted to work in academia. So while I was an undergrad at UCLA, one of the postdocs that I worked under had finished up his postdoc position and had been offered a faculty spot at Carnegie Mellon University in Pennsylvania. And he was like, hey, when you're done with your undergrad, I'd love to have you come out to Pennsylvania and work as my lab manager if you're interested. Um, I thought, again, at the time that I wanted to go into academia and working as a lab manager is really great experience and really helps you get into the programs that you're interested in when you're ready to apply. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to be a lab manager um, in Pennsylvania for two years and then apply to grad school. That was my grand plan. So I got there and... um, to be quite honest, I was not ready for snow and cold weather like that. I think I went through a little bit of like seasonal affective disorder. Like it was a little depressing to be in that weather and to be completely sort of uprooted and separated from all my family and friends. Like it was a really good learning experience. I think previously I was under the impression like, oh, I can go anywhere, move anywhere, do whatever I want for my career. I'm totally open. And then once I actually did that and and moved to a new location, I realized, A, how awesome California is. I had taken it for granted completely, especially the weather, and how much I really did want to be around my family and friends. So moving away helped me realize more of like what I value in my life and my lifestyle. And um, yeah, so I had a little soul searching there. I realized if I wanted to stay in academia, I was probably realistically going to have to move at least two more times, probably for grad school and then again to get a faculty position somewhere. And I was really thinking hard about whether that was what I wanted out of my life um, and what I wanted to do. So I totally did a 180 and was like, I had no logical reason to do this, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I I want to do something else. I want to be more public facing. Um, I love research, but it's very behind the scenes and very slow moving. Like um, some of the work that I did in that lab didn't get published for like three years after until three years after I left. So I was like done with my master's degree and like a paper was still coming out with my name on it from that time period. So that's that can be how slow moving it goes, especially with um, neuroimaging stuff because the interventions are usually like months long. And then there's just a lot that goes behind the scenes with processing all of that data and analyzing it. Um, so yeah, it usually takes years to get a, a study done and published. Um, so yeah, I, I left academia. I went back to California and got my master's degree in nutrition and did my um, internship through a coordinated program at Cal State LA. And that's sort of where where life took me. And I, I became a dietitian at the end of 2000, or uh, sort of summer 2014. And then was like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, I actually hadn't really done a very good job of thinking about 
what I wanted to do with the degree before I got it and after I finished it. Um, it was very time consuming to be in the program and to be doing my internship as well. So I just sort of buried myself in the work and forgot to think about what I was doing or where I was trying to go. In retrospect, like thinking back, I think some of my classmates who started doing very well straight out of the gate um, are some of the people who just went for things when they were still students. So, you know, started private practice just as a nutritionist because in California we don't have licensure. So anyone can offer nutrition counseling. So some of my peers did that um, just while they were still in school, which is, I mean, if I had wanted to start a private practice, that would have been logical. Um, so yeah, I I was blogging on the side. I had a food blog that I had launched prior to going back to school for nutrition. So I was doing that on the side. I, I really loved food and cooking and food science and stuff like that. But I didn't really know what to do with myself, to be quite honest, or where I fit in this career. I thought about maybe starting a restaurant or something like that, but then I quickly realized I didn't have any funding or assets to get funding. And I'm going through all those food, those um, food management courses <laughs> or food service management courses, realized like, wow, this is a very intense career choice and the profit margins are so small. So I sort of dropped that idea. And then I graduated and I was like, okay, now what? Um, I felt like my options were to get a regular job in clinical, which I, I never, even from the very beginning of going back to get my RD degree, my degree and to become an RD, I never really had the thought of being a clinical dietitian in my mind. That was never something I wanted to do or was interested in. Of course, I did it during my internship, but it didn't, it wasn't something I was passionate about. So I didn't even, I decided I'm not going to apply to those types of jobs because I just, I'm not really interested. So instead, I just continued to do my side hustle. I had been um, doing some tutoring on the side as a grad student to help pay my bills. I picked up some other side gigs. Um, I was assisting one of my preceptors and she was paying me hourly to help with that. Um, yeah, I was just sort of floating by. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, um, I guess I'm starting a business. Again, I had always had sort of an entrepreneurial uh, spirit, I would say. I think that was a big part of what drew me to academia, sort of the independence and the autonomy there. I was like the kid who was having lemonade stands outside of my house. Um, I even had a polished rocks stand when I was like in elementary school where I painted rocks with nail polish and we're selling them off the side of the street. Yeah. So um, I just thought I'd figure it out. Um, so again, in my mind at the time, which is totally not accurate, I understand now, but at the time, I really thought my only options were to get a job or to start a private practice. Like, Yes, I was still blogging and was like in the back of my mind, like, oh, maybe I could turn this into something. But I didn't have any concrete examples of how to do that or mentors who were doing that. So that just, that felt kind of like a pipe dream, but it was still kind of lingering in the back of my mind. But I was like, well, OK, I can dig into that a little more, but I need to make money right now. So I, as soon as I passed the RD exam, was like, OK, well, I'm just going to rent some office space and kind of figure it out. Um, so that's what I did. I rented a office space in a wellness center 
here in um, West Los Angeles. I think I was paying like five or six hundred dollars a month for this space. There was no windows. It was very small. I put like a couple thousand dollars on my credit card for like furniture to furnish this place. Um, I, I just picked a niche sort of randomly. I since my experience in um, research was investigating the effects of mindfulness meditation on the brain. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll like to to work in sort of like the mindful and intuitive eating realm. Um, so I dove into that. I, I read like every single book on the topic. And, you know, I really find that work to be extremely important and valuable in the world. But it just didn't click with me. It wasn't right for me and my personality. I think part of it is that working with people one-on-one isn't actually in alignment with me or my um, my unique skill set. It actually gave me a lot of anxiety and I would like, you know, wake up feeling very anxious um, in the middle of the night before I had any client appointments the next day. Um, it didn't feel light and fun and helpful. It felt heavy and um, sort of anxiety provoking. And I had a pit in my stomach instead of, you know, joy and um, excitement about the job I was doing. So turned out that wasn't the best fit, but I stuck it out for a year. So I had I signed a year long lease. Um, I'm just going to talk about my career journey in years. So from June 2014 to the end of 2014, I had that office space. I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to figure this out. Uh, I had a handful of clients that I would see in person. I barely broke even. Like I was just earning enough money to like pay the rent that I had committed to. And I was really mostly making my money through all of my other side gigs, um, like tutoring and assisting for that other RD. And then in 2015, I was like, okay, well, I guess working one-on-one with people is not the thing. So I enrolled in Marie Forleo's B-School, which is... Um, an online business school, sort of. Um, it's help, It's designed to help people create a business and a life that they love, I think is her tagline. It was a huge investment at the time. I think it was like 2000 something dollars. Uh, but I was like, okay, this is going to help give me clarity on how I can create an online business that fits into the life that I want to build. So I, um, at that time, decided to rebrand my business. I wish that I had known more about website stuff at the time because I had had a food blog as a hobby since 2011. So I had four years of content on that website given, I mean, it was sporadic. I wasn't posting like weekly or anything like that, but four years of content is still a decent amount of content. And 2011 is actually pretty early in the food blog world. So I had gotten like some pretty good backlinks. So backlinks are when other people link to your stuff from their website. And Google looks at that as an authority measure. So they're like, oh, the more links from really high ranking and reputable websites that you can get, the more reputable and authoritative it makes your own website look. So I had links from like Huffington Post and stuff like that because they had found my website and linked to my recipes on their content. And I totally took that for granted. I wish that I had understood the value of that at the time. Um, But again, I I didn't have a community to connect with of other bloggers. I didn't know anyone else who was blogging or trying to blog. I just 
I just didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of winging it. So unfortunately, I was like, oh, I want to rebrand my food blog. I don't connect with the name of the blog that I had at the time. It, I used to I called it eat healthy, feel good back in the day, which now I'm like after learning about, you know, intuitive eating and health at every size and all that stuff. I was like, I don't connect with this name anymore. This isn't the message that I want to send. So I rebranded and just made my website ericajolson.com and shut down the old blog. And now <laughs> this is so embarrassing to say I did not redirect any of my old links to my new website. I just shut down the old website and started a new one. And that was probably, that's probably one of the biggest regrets that I have out of the last like decade, honestly. Um, Because if I had just redirected, which is not hard to do, if I had just redirected all of that content to my new website, I wouldn't be starting from scratch. um, And I would have some domain authority, which we'll talk about what that means more throughout this podcast. But basically, all those backlinks that you get give your domain authority. And there's sort of a score that that a company called Moz will calculate for your website. And uh, by shutting down my old website and starting a new one, I was starting over with a domain authority of zero. So that was a big mistake. Um, So don't do that. If you ever want to start a new website, definitely work with a professional who can help you make sure that you don't lose all of your domain authority when you start over. It's not that difficult to just basically forward all of your old traffic to your new website. You just have to set it up properly. So anyway, I rebranded. I started a new website at ericajolson.com and I figured I'll just figure out my niche along the way as I go. I committed to blogging two times a week. So I was posting recipes because I love cooking. That was part of the reason I went back to school to become an RD because I just love food, basically. Um, And then I was like, okay, I have this food blog. The problem was it wasn't niched down. I wasn't helping anyone. I was just like posting what I was making for dinner, essentially, which um, was all over the place. Like one week I would post like a really easy, like 20 minute, like vegetarian meal. And then, you know, the next day I'm posting like a five hour braised meat meal. And like, who am I talking to? Who am I helping? Who am I connecting with? What was the point of all of this? Couldn't tell (laughs) you. I was just sort of feeling it out and figuring myself out and my brand and who I wanted to be um, or be known as by taking action. Um, So it was very all over the place. I didn't know anything about search engine optimization. So I sort of had the completely backwards perception of how the internet worked. I thought that by creating the most like obscure and creative recipes that that would be a way to get found on the internet so my stuff was like all over the place like i was creating like braised radishes and swiss chard or like um spinach and herb turkey meatloaf like stuff that no one is going out of their way to search for on the internet so because i was creating these like really random i mean they were delicious but they were pretty random recipes I wasn't getting found because to get found you have to create content that people are actually looking for which that was one of the biggest missing pieces I think in my understanding of uh, online business so anyway I was blogging two times a week on that new website but not getting a lot of traffic from it because I didn't understand how to create content strategically to get found so then I was like okay 
I want to try to create a couple products. Again, thinking backwards, I was thinking if I create a product that people want, that will build my business instead of thinking who can I help and what content can I create to build my audience and then create a product? I was like, oh, I'll make a product and that will bring my audience to me. But that's not the case. You need to help first and understand your audience inside and out before you create the product. Um, so again, I made that mistake. I launched two different products to an audience of like no one because I didn't have an audience. Uh, my first one was actually with someone that I connected with in that B-School program. She reached out to me. She was a Pilates instructor. She wanted to make an online fitness program and wanted me to join her to create recipes and do some videos on like mindset work and stuff like that. So I spent like three months working my butt off <laughs> creating these recipes and photographing them and um, filming videos of myself, doing a little bit of mindset coaching, doing some handouts and worksheets. I spent a lot of time on it and we sold. So we built the whole thing before we sold it, which was another mistake. <laughs> if you ask me today, I always pre-sell anything I'm doing now. So I always validate my idea in the form of a pre-sale where you say, hey, I'm thinking of creating this. If you're interested, sign up here at like a discounted rate. And then before you launch this, the pre-sale, you can say, OK, I'm going to go through with this if I reach X, Y, Z amount of sales or amount of interest in the product. And then if if people don't buy it, then no harm, no foul. You just don't make it. If like two people bought it and your your minimum amount of people you wanted to buy in was like 10 people, then again, you just email those people and you say, hey, thank you so much for your interest and your support. Um, there was not enough interest at this time for me to move forward with making it. And you just give them a refund and you let them know if you're going to do it again. So, um, yeah, I wish I we had known about that and done that back in the day. But no, we spent three months like all summer basically putting together this program and then we launched it with the bang like to the point where she even came over to my apartment and we filmed videos we took pictures with my dslr like fancy camera i mean we thought we were doing everything that we were supposed to be doing but um missed the important part of oh wait you need to have an audience and like a niche of people that you're actually helping before you can sell online successfully. So she didn't have an audience. I didn't really have an audience. So we sold three. Yes, three of this program, which I think was going. I think we were selling it for like, I don't know, around two or three hundred bucks. Um, so, yeah, I made like two or three hundred dollars total for three months of my work. And um, I think I only brought one person to the table who bought the program and it was literally my aunt. So I hope that makes you guys feel better because I know it's really easy to look at someone and where they are now. Just a reminder, this is my fifth year as a dietitian. But in year one, in year two, I was totally flopping left and right. Like here I am making this like program I think is going to be the thing. It's going to be my online business and I sell three or we sell three total and I only sell one to my aunt. Like, yes, that happened. And it was very disheartening and um, a little demoralizing, but I learned a lot. I learned through that mistake that I needed to pre-sell my next thing. Um, well, actually, I guess I didn't quite learn that mistake yet because I actually launched another thing after that that I didn't pre-sell. Um, I launched a meal planning program. So I was like, OK, scratch that. I'm not doing any sort of like 
fitness and nutrition sort of programs. Like that's not my thing. I don't. I, I we separated like me and that and that other fitness instructor um, went our own ways and just focused on our own brands after that. And so I was like, okay, um, I think I need to do something related to recipes because that was the point of my blog and that was the audience that I was trying to build with my blog. So I was like, okay, people coming to a food blog, maybe they'd be interesting in, interested in like a meal planning type of thing. But did I ask my audience whether they wanted this? No, I did not. <laughs> um, another common, common mistake. So as you can see, um, I've made pretty much every mistake in the book, uh, including not validating or building my audience first. So anyway, I made this meal planning program. I spent maybe like one day a week on it and I would, I actually like reached out to food bloggers and said, hey, I'm trying to build this meal planning program. I want to feature your recipes. And it was sort of based on a, a commission. So they would get like, if they gave me permission to use their recipes in my meal planning program, I would say, hey, you get like, I don't know how much I did, like, I don't know, maybe it was like 50 cents or something per recipe that I use in my meal plan per subscriber. So my thought was that's incentivizes the bloggers to share the meal planning thing because um, they get paid when their recipes are featured and they get paid more based on how many subscribers I have <laughs> to the meal planning program. And I still think this could have worked if I had maybe planned it out a little bit more. So um, I part of the problem was that I was charging way too much. I think I was charging like $19.99 a month or something for this service, but it really wasn't that great. I, I lacked the tech to make it what it needed to be. I was looking up, you know, five different recipes. I think it was every week. It was like a dinner meal planning thing. And then I was creating shopping lists and linking to the recipes and blah, blah, blah. And I was trying to strategically, you know, put them together so that they used leftovers from the other uh, recipes, et cetera, et cetera. And what, so when you do something like this and you send out, so I was sending out an email every week to my subscribers where um, they would get the, the meal plan and the shopping list, but I can see <laughs> like whether people are clicking on the links or downloading the shopping list and people just like weren't. So I think most of the people who had signed up for it were, again, my friends and family, and they were trying to be kind and supportive of my entrepreneurial endeavors. But were they actually using it and getting value out of it? No, they weren't. Um, and I think to make it more valuable, I realized, A, I needed to probably lower the price to be in line with other competitors in the space. More like 10 bucks a month would have been more realistic. And I needed to add, um, you know, more more capabilities to it. So maybe people could check the recipes that they wanted and it would auto-generate a, a, a shopping list. Or people could say, oh, I already have this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient. And then it would alter, you know, the shopping list for them. But I didn't, I didn't have... I didn't have the um, technological prowess to be able to offer that for people. So again, after like five months or so of doing this, I just shut the whole thing down. So that was my 2015. Um, I made, I would say, about $12,000 total that year from nutrition-related endeavors, which was, you know, some seeing clients. I think for the first six months of that year, I was still seeing clients in my office one-on-one. -on -one. 
I was doing some side gigs like assisting an other RD, um, some freelance recipe development that I landed through my blog, sporadic like public speaking and corporate wellness things that people reached out to me just by finding me through my website or my Google My Business listing or health profs. Um, but it was really sporadic and all over the place. <laughs> this was definitely a year of trying things and falling flat on my face, but learning a lot. So in 2016, I honestly felt a little like a failure. I felt like I really put myself out there and invested a lot of money and a lot of time in my business. And I really was earnestly trying my best, but I just I just wasn't there yet. I didn't probably looking back if I had been working with like a mentor or a coach could have saved me from like half of at least half of that heartache. Um, But I didn't. I was just kind of going it alone um, and not really getting much out of what I was trying. So in 2016, um, it took some time to soul search. I took like six months off from seeing clients. After I didn't renew my office lease, I just stopped advertising my one-on-one services um, and tried to think, okay, how can I do something that capitalizes a little more on my unique like strength. So I think one of my strengths is that I love food and cooking and I'm also very sciencey and like technical. So I like to talk about the nerdy, like nitty gritty biology, biochemistry stuff. Um, and I wasn't getting that in the niche that I had selected previously. So I actually became a certified leap therapist in 2016 and started leaning into that niche. And I did like it a lot better. I started seeing clients virtually through my website um, two days per week. I started offering packages instead of one-off sessions. So people would pay, you know, I think I was charging maybe like $1,200 for a two-month package with me. And that was going very well. Um, But I still didn't feel 100% in alignment. I still had that anxiety, the trouble separating myself from my client sessions. Um, having that pit in my stomach the day before. I couldn't do it for more than two days a week without it really having a detrimental effect on my um, my mental health and well-being. And I was still blogging two times a week, posting those recipes, even though it wasn't really going anywhere. And that year in 2016, um, from the combination of my blog and some random side work and um, my nutrition counseling, I made about $25,000 in from nutrition related endeavors in 2017 i was still seeing clients virtually as a certified leap therapist i was still blogging but i got a really really exciting opportunity i um, saw a job posting in early 2017 for freelance writing positions with a website called authority nutrition and they were paying a thousand dollars a post yes they were very in-depth like over like one to two thousand word um, articles with dozens if not over a hundred references per post but I was like oh my gosh I would so much rather get paid a thousand dollars to write an article and just sort of sit and dig into the research in my pajamas at home than I would to work with someone weekly or bi-weekly for two months. So um, that was a no-brainer for me. I was really excited about the opportunity. I applied in February of, or no, 
I probably applied in like January of 2017. It was a really in-depth application process. There was like three rounds. You had to submit multiple writing samples. The final writing sample was basically like you writing the like a, a portion of an article so they could they'd give you a topic and you'd have to write an outline and then flesh out part of it so they could see your writing style and I you know it took a lot of time I put so much effort into it and I found out on my 30th birthday <laughs> when I woke up that morning I had an email in my inbox that I did not get the position and I was honestly kind of like crushed <laughs> I was already daydreaming about how that would change my life and like I really wanted it and I didn't get it. Um, So again, another lesson about perseverance here uh, because, you know, I I was like, okay, I I didn't get that position. I'm going to have to think outside the box here and come up with some other unconventional income streams. So I think maybe looking back, it was a blessing that I didn't get it because I don't know if I ever would have created the membership site that I ended up creating if I had gotten that freelance writing position right when I applied um, because I probably would have felt comfortable and a little cushy if I had that job. So I did not get that position in February. um, But around that same time, I think like a month or two later, I was offered uh, an opportunity to speak at the very first RD Entrepreneur Symposium, um, which is put on by Heather Neal. I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but I will link to her website um, in the show notes. It's a really, really awesome, basically virtual symposium where she gets maybe like 10 to 15 um, dietitians to speak on an entrepreneurial related topic, um, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, maybe an hour, um, where they're really diving into something um, actionable for her audience. And then she sells this symposium for a couple hundred dollars um, and she sells it to her audience and then each speaker has the opportunity to promote the the symposium as well and earn a commission on those sales. So um, I spoke about taking action to find your niche since that was kind of what was top of mind for me at the, at the time. Uh, and I realized, okay, I'm going to be speaking to this audience where am I sending people afterwards? I didn't have a place to send people to talk about entrepreneurial related stuff. Um, so I actually created an entire website, theunconventionalrd.com and the Unconventional RD Facebook community because of that talk. So I created those two resources because I wanted to have some place to send people at the end of my symposium talk. Um, so that's how it all started. I think this was like maybe March or April 2017 um, was the very first (laughs) unconventional RD related stuff. So um, I started sharing income reports on the blog and fostering discussion about online business and uh, entrepreneurship in the Facebook group. And that was my first foray also into affiliate marketing where I promote something to my audience and earn a commission on the sales. Um, So that was that was really exciting and fun. It wasn't really a business at this point. It was just a hobby, but I felt good about it. And I enjoyed the space that I had created and that blog and sharing my income reports. Um, And then in the summer of 2017, again, I still did not have this freelance writing job and um, my side gigs were sort of winding down. And I was like, okay, I need to create 
<laughs> I'm going to try again and create another passive income product, but I need to do it right this time. So I was racking my brain, like what could I create that would be valuable for people that I would enjoy at the same time? And uh, I ended up coming up with the idea of creating a membership site that housed basically all of the notes that I had collected for myself as a private practice dietitian about you know nutrition for various health conditions, supplements, testing, stuff like like how to interpret labs. As a private practice dietitian, I had come up with or I had created hundreds of these little cheat sheet like note sort of things for myself and sporadically like if people ask questions in a Facebook group and I already had a note on it I would like send them to people and be like hey I already like looked into this and made a whole bunch of notes like here you go if you want to check it out and people would be like oh my gosh these are amazing like I would pay for these and you know after a couple times of people saying that I was like wait am I sitting on a business idea right now and I don't even know it like (laughs) I feel like that's like the business ideas that work like that's how they come about they're very organic um so i finally was like well maybe this is a business idea so instead of course i learned my lesson finally instead of creating the business and then selling it i pre-sold it this time so i you know sent out an email posted in my facebook group and was like hey i have this idea i'm gonna call it the functional nutrition library it's gonna have all of my notes Um, And I will add to it every single week and continue to grow it. Um, If you're interested in having access to this, uh, you can sign up. I think I was I I offered like a really um, low discounted rate. I think it was like maybe ninety five dollars for one year of access uh, as my presale offer. And I think I sold around 20. So I made like two thousand dollars in my very first presale. I had never made two thousand dollars in one day like or one week or however long the pre-sale period was like what I was like oh my gosh like it's working like finally you know three years after starting this journey I finally had my first successful pre-sale and product launch so um I created that membership site. The $2,000 presale was enough to validate. And then every single week I would go in and update the content and send people emails about what was new. I opened up a, um, a an option to sign up uh, as with a monthly payment. So $11.99 a month, you could pay to access the content as well. And then that just started growing month after month. Um, I think at the end of that first year of running it, I think I had made about twelve or $15,000. So, you know, like $1,000 a month-ish, which was like huge for me at the time. Like I felt really great about that. And I only spent maybe like a day or two a week, you know, working on the content and adding to it. And I was still seeing clients as well and blogging. Um, then after the success of that membership site launch, I want to say around, I don't know if it was like, maybe October or November of 2017, I wake up one morning and there's an an email sitting in my inbox from Healthline slash Authority Nutrition. Authority Nutrition basically got acquired by Healthline um, during that six month or so period since I had applied. And they were like, hey, we're expanding our team. Would you be interested in writing for us? And I was like, uh, yes. (laughs) Like I literally like, 
screamed when I read the email in the bathroom and like ran into my bed into the bedroom and like woke up my boyfriend like oh my gosh I can't believe it I can be a writer um so yes I accepted that opportunity I started freelance writing for Healthline slash Authority Nutrition at the end of the year and I think total in 2017 through my nutrition related endeavors I actually felt like an entrepreneur for the first time I had made about fifty thousand dollars that year from just nutrition related stuff and I felt really comfortable and confident that I could continue to grow it. Then in 2018 um, I realized I was doing too much. I was blogging, I was freelance writing, I was running a membership site and I was running the unconventional RD community Um, and that was way way too much and out of all of those things the food blog was the one that wasn't really a business it was just a hobby honestly I was trying to make it a business but at that point I still didn't understand how really to do that so I was spending a lot of time on it and not really getting anything in return so I made the tough decision to stop blogging um, at the end around the end of 2017 Um, I also made the decision that I was going to stop seeing clients one-on-one I was basically being compensated the same amount for writing articles as I was with working with clients and I enjoyed writing articles more. So I shut down my private practice and I went all in on freelance writing and that membership site that I had created, the Functional Nutrition Library. I was also still running the Unconventional RD community Facebook group and spending a lot of time there, but it wasn't a business or anything at that point, just a hobby and a place to connect with people. I think I was making a little bit of money in affiliate income, just recommending Um, you know, like the RD Entrepreneur Symposium or tech-related tools to people. And when people clicked on my link and bought, I would earn a commission. But it was maybe like $12,000 a year total um, in affiliate commission. In 2018, I hired an assistant. So I, or actually an assistant writer. Um, Her name's Amy Richter. She's amazing. And she was helping me be faster at writing my Healthline articles. So once I had the topic, she would help me kind of like create an outline and dig up research for me. And then all I had to do was write the article and read the research. Um, So that was very helpful. I gave her a portion of what I made for that service. I think I gave her like 25% of what I was earning. Um, And then I decided, okay, the Functional Nutrition Library is still going well and growing month after month. It's time to move it to its own website because I had initially launched it just on the same URL as my food blog because I didn't want to like put money into creating a website for something I wasn't sure was going to take off. Um, I also started to teach myself about search engine optimization um, because I was like, okay, I want to create content to go with the functional nutrition library. Like once I moved it to its own site, I had a website that was basically 100% behind a paywall. So it's like people would come to the website and it's like an offer to join this membership site, but that's it. There's like one page. And like, why would they trust me? Like, why would they want to sign up? Why, why would they want to buy from me? I, it needed to have some free public facing content to attract people and to grow the brand. So I was like, okay, I'm, I know how to blog. I am going to start a blog on the side of this library to attract people to the website to join the membership site. And I was like, I'm not going to waste my time on this version of the blog. I need to get serious. 
I had been hearing about this thing called search engine optimization in other blogger groups and people saying like that's the number one thing that they wish they had understood when they started and the number one thing that helped them grow. So I dove in. I spent about six months teaching myself SEO stuff and I launched that nutrition related blog. It's called Functional Nutrition Answers in September of 2018, implementing SEO like to the nines from the start. And then uh, it worked. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this throughout the podcast, but in 10 months, I was able to grow the blog to over 20,000 sessions a month with just 10 blog posts, posting only once a month. So um, that was an incredible success. And I then was ready to start teaching some of the stuff to my peers because it felt so important and impactful that I wanted to make sure that we all knew about this stuff and we could all implement these strategies on our websites. So like as a profession, as as you know, the the people who are very highly educated in nutrition, we would be able to be found on the internet. Um, so I wanted to make sure we were all blogging and creating content strategically in a way that brings the audience to us so that we can become more visible and elevate ourselves as individuals and individual businesses and as a profession as a whole. So um, in 2018, I decided, you know, as I mentioned, I thought I was going to create a membership site where I did mini trainings for people throughout the year. So that's how I pitched it when I originally came up with the idea. Um, I made about $5,000 in my first pre-sale and then I did another Black Friday deal in November of 2018 I made another $7,000 in pre-sales. So these are people who are paying me just for the idea. Like it hasn't even launched yet. I said, oh, this is going to start in 2019. And I made $12,000 in people signing up just out of trust with me because they I'd been running the Facebook community at that point for like two years and or almost two years. And people were excited for to learn from me in a more structured paid format. So Altogether in 2018, I made about $70,000 that year um, in nutrition-related income. Then in 2019, basically all of my time went into creating the Unconventional RD Business Bootcamp courses. So um, I created those three courses. I made $70,000 total in 2019 from just those courses. So my entire income from 2018 was generated through just these online courses. That allowed me to retire from freelance writing and just focus on my own businesses. And then I still have that membership site that I started with. It didn't really grow in 2019 because I wasn't really putting my attention there. I did zero advertising. Um, It didn't like shrink or anything. It still makes about $30,000 a year, but it's just sort of there on the side. Um, And I'm still running it, but it, it just sort of stayed the same, I would say, in 2019. Um, so together with that, those two income streams plus my affiliate income, I made about one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in twenty nineteen from all passive income. So not um, trading my time for money. It's all of my income right now is one hundred percent passive through you know my membership site, my courses, and affiliate income. And I'm very very excited to continue to grow that in 2020, to delegate, to systematize, to become more visible, to offer more free content, and to start building a legit brand around the unconventional RD. And I have to make some tough decisions about what I want to do with my other membership site. 
I don't think it's feasible for me to run two businesses as a solopreneur in the, in the way that I was trying to do in 2019. So um, I haven't 100% decided or committed with what's going to happen with that yet, but stay tuned. Um, I will definitely keep you guys all up to date, but I'm probably going to outsource a lot of that and maybe change my offerings related to that. Um, but I do love to have that membership site and blog in particular as a place to experiment with SEO stuff and to see what's working because it, it gives me really incredible data on what's going on in the world of SEO right now. Um, so yeah, if you listened to that whole thing and my whole backstory, thank you. Um, and thank you for tuning in and sticking with me to the end. If you'd like to connect with me further, definitely check out the Unconventional RD community on Facebook. That's like the number one place um, to connect. I'm in there every single day. And also check out the blog at theunconventionalrd.com. That's where you can find my courses. And in 2020, I am committed to publishing content on the blog there on a regular basis. So look for really helpful stuff related to online business, search engine optimization, blog monetization, um, and email marketing on the blog. So thanks guys. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the next episode um, where we go over three different ways to make money blogging. And then the episode after that, three more ways to make money blogging. So um, I'm super excited. And thanks again for being here with me today.